Hello everybody! Before we get into today's episode, I have a couple of announcements to make regarding the podcast. Number one, Apple has changed their rules. If you follow Now and Zen Japan on Apple Podcasts, make sure you turn on the auto-download function so you won't miss any episodes. And you can listen to Now and Zen whenever and wherever you want. It's easy. Just go to Now and Zen Japan on Apple Podcasts, go to the top right icon, select Settings, then turn on Automatic Downloads. That's it. Super simple. I guess Apple has changed their settings, so if you followed before and you didn't turn it on, you will not receive automatic downloads. If you do not yet follow the podcast and you would like to, the process is the same. Go to Now in Zen Japan on Apple Podcasts, go to the top right-hand corner, click on the icon, and select Follow. Then it's the same procedure. Next, go to Settings, turn on Automatic Downloads, and you are golden. Thank you very much. The second announcement, Now in Zen Japan now has its own website. The URL is nowinzen.jp. Now in Zen, all one word, N-O-W-A-N-D-Z-E-N dot J-P. There you can easily browse all of the episodes, subscribe to the podcast, read all the show notes, you can even leave a voice message. How about that? The site is still a work in progress with more features to be added soon. So check it out, nowinzen.jp. Now, back to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Zoe Digital Japan. Get more visitors to your website and convert them into paying customers. Zoe Digital helps foreign companies expand in Japan with digital marketing services. Look for the elephant logo at zodigital.jp. Now in Zen is also sponsored by the Gugu Mattress Company. Super comfortable and very affordable. Nothing better than a great night's sleep with a Gugu mattress. Discount codes available later in the podcast. Hello, everybody. This episode is number 40, and it's a bit different from the previous 39, in that today's guest is myself. In a way, it's a repurposed podcast. You see, I was on Japan's top business interviews with Dr. Greg Story from Dale Carnegie Japan. We talked about leadership and doing business in Japan. The original is available on Apple Podcasts under Japan's top business interviews. For this episode, I have edited the original recording, removing most of the silly stuff and kept only the relevant silly stuff. You will hear some of my thoughts and opinions about working in Japan for 30 years and some of my backstory and journey from Tokyo department store menswear buyer to helping people enhance their cooking lifestyle. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with me, Andrew Hankinson. I'm Greg Story, your host today. I'm the president of Dale Cunningham Training Japan, and my special guest is an old client and friend of mine, Andrew Hankerson, who is the president in Japan of Swilling J.A. Henkels. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much. Most people always mess that up, but you did perfect. Well, thank you very much for that. And, you know, I've listened to your podcast, and I recommend everyone to listen to Now and Zen. I consider it excellent. I'm a fan. 
You are the innovator <laughs> and you are the pioneer when it comes to podcasting. Compared to you, my friend, I am only swimming in your wake, but thank you for the props. When it comes to leadership, a lot of people say things like leadership is being a motivator or having a lot of charisma or something like that for, for a good leader. But for me personally, it boils down to three things. Number one, first and foremost, you need to deliver results. It's performance. I mean, that's why you were hired. That's why I was hired, right? And sure, this motivation and the charisma part, that's, that's part of it. But if you're just a motivator and you have charisma, but you're not delivering results, you're not a leader. You're just a cheerleader in my book. So How- let's, let's look at that a little bit because you are not in the store selling product. You are not in the factory making product. You are working through your team. So when you say you deliver results, you are delivering results through your people. So help me understand a little bit more when you say I deliver results. What does that mean? You know, the analogy or simile, or I can never remember which one it is, is the captain of the ship, right? You're pointing it in the right direction and you're making the decisions to help your people thrive and be successful. So basically you're talking about you're responsible for the direction and the strategy part of it. And if that's working correctly, then you're going to have success. Is that what I should understand? Well, that's the macro view of it. So Mm -hmm. yes. On the micro view, however, you mentioned about my stores. When I joined, we had five retail stores. We now have 38 retail stores throughout Japan. When I worked at the department store, I was a buyer Mm -hmm. and I did everything from the glamorous, going to New York, buying product, to the opposite of glamorous, sitting in a cold warehouse and inspecting the products. And part of it was also visual merchandising. It was regular merchandising, all of these things. So I did all of that. So when it comes to our retail stores, when I talk to the store managers, the retail manager, and we talk about merchandising, we talk about visual merchandising. I've done that. Having that, I believe, adds value. And so in that sense, you know, we talk about getting people motivated to perform. We're the leader, but we can't do all the work. They have to work through people. So a big part of that is getting people engaged. So I don't know whether in your company's case you have... uh, employee surveys, satisfaction surveys, engagement surveys or not, do you have that type of thing? Totally correct. The engagement scores for Japan is always the lowest in the world. It's a very good question. We don't have quantitative engagement scores. My engagement barometer is how engaged people are in my office. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's kind of a feeling. If you like to talk about engagement, you should definitely, for this podcast, I recommend that you talk with Rochelle Kopp, Mm -hmm. K-O-P-P. That's her specialty. I had her on my podcast. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And she knows what she's talking about. She could speak about engagement much more intelligently than I can. However, having said that, I think a lot of this low engagement discussion stems from hierarchy in the workplace. Japanese are very talented, very creative, but... In the right environment, artists, writers, designers, craftsmen, outstanding. Some of the most talented in the world. But they are in in an environment where they need to be creative. On the other hand, the workplace has a lot of rules. So a lot of set rules, which leads to being risk adverse, right? 
It's very important that when you're introducing a new concept, some new innovation, some new ideas, you get a group consensus. All of the players that are involved in whatever it is you're introducing, they need to be all in agreement because if we do it all together, I mean, Japan is a collectivist society. Uh, they say misery loves company, but in this case, it's like、uh, risk loves company. So they're more apt to, as a group, take on any new challenges because if it fails, nobody's responsible.、Mm-hmm. What you're describing here is a classic Ringi Sado, right? Of the,、mm. the hanko, the, the stamps, everyone who's going to be impacted by this decision、right. puts their personal seal on the piece of paper, which signifies I'm in agreement with this. Change. And then, as you say, if it blows up, we're all responsible, therefore, none of us are responsible. So it doesn't sound that very different from a very traditional Japanese you know, system of getting harmony. So, what's the, you're a foreign company, so where's the, where's the difference here? It just sounds the same to me as any, what any Japanese company would do. Might be. We're a foreign affiliated company. Therefore, I believe that a lot of my staff think that there won't be as many consequences. For taking risks if you fail. And I try, to, I try to foster that environment. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained type mentality. So,、and、you so- yourself personally, I notice you personally are very innovative. The way your mind thinks is very innovative. So, how do you foster that feeling in your team that, look, we are here to take risks, learn, grow,、uh, be creative? How do you foster that? Myself as the leader, I need to let them feel comfortable that they have the freedom. I hesitate to use the word empowerment.、Uh, do you know how to say empowerment in Japanese? Absolutely no idea. Well, it's a good thing because the word doesn't exist. There's not a direct translation for empowerment as we understand the word for empowerment. It's like the other word、Japanese. is engagement. How do you explain engagement、yeah. in Japanese? No word for it. Empowerment, no、right. word for it. And, and, Very and therein lies part of the problem. But empowerment is extremely important. And so I try to foster that. One of the big differences is that Japanese companies really value input. How much are you contributing to the meeting? How much time are you spending in the office? How much are you working overtime? So it's, it's what you put into it. Input, but, what we,、yeah. but what we value is output. Right. So, what are your results? How you get these results, the input is not really that important.、Mm. It's the output at the end of the day. And that、mm. goes back to what I said about delivering results for a leader.、Mm. Is, you know, that's, as a leader, delivering results isn't the only thing. Engagement,、mm. you, know, you need to communicate, you need to have empathy. Also, I would, I would just add market intelligence for、mm. sure. You need to know your market. You need to know what are the trends. You need to know what are the new innovations. You need to stay ahead of the curve、mm-hmm. because your staff expect you to know those things as、mm-hmm. a leader. They expect you to communicate what's going on in the market, whether it's just not just Japan, but around the world. What are the、mm-hmm. trends in Europe, in the US? Because eventually some of them might come to, the, to Japan as well.、And、so, delivering results, good people skills, being engaged, and then market intelligence. That's or what I believe makes a good leader. But I don't really think that's Japan specific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that could translate to anyway. almost any,、yeah. anyway. Just a quick side story, if you don't mind. Every year when the new year starts, we have a sales conference. I present what the targets 
both quantitative and qualitative, are for the company for that year. We set the targets, and then all the staff will set their own personal targets, and it'll filter down. Then we reach the company target. Now, is that target coming from headquarters overseas? And then you receive that number, and you say, okay, this is the number. Now, you tell me how you're going to get us to that number. Is that how it works? Exactly. Okay. That's exactly how it works. And everybody's bonus is based on achieving their personal targets, but also the company target as Mm -hmm. well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have this sales conference, and I'm presenting to everybody. My theme was, and every year we have a theme, but this theme was goal setting, target setting, and defaulting to the opportunity rather than defaulting to the risk. Mm -hmm. Because in Japan, they tend to default to the risk, Mm -hmm. right? Risk adverse. Ties back to all the things we were saying. So I'm giving this presentation, and I've got the slides, and I think it was like a, a branch in the road where the opportunity road road went over to where the sun was shining, and then the other road for the risk went over to where it was raining and there were thunderbolts <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, and I was saying, hey, the opportunities are we've got new channels, we've got new products, we've got new innovation, all this opportunity. The risk part of it is the objection is going to be, oh, there's new buyers. We don't know them. They have too much inventory. You know, we're too expensive. You know, all the things why they can't reach their targets. So in my presentation, I said, look, when you set your targets this year, let's all default to the opportunity and not the risk. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, hey, here in Japan, we always default to the risk. You know, we always, that's the way our society is. And in general, it is. However, I said to them, okay, So I know you guys are all thinking that I'm this American guy that's all optimistic and saying, hey, these are the opportunities, so so do this. But I can prove to you that you can default to the opportunity. By a show of hands, how many of you here will not reach their targets and will not receive their bonuses this year? Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. Okay, show of hands, how many of you will reach your targets just perfectly just so you achieve 100% of your bonus. And a couple hands come up. All right. How many of you will exceed your targets and you will reach the maximum amount of bonus that you can get? Raise your hands. 95% of people, they all raise their hands. See, you can default to the, to the opportunity, right? When it comes to your bonus, you can. So if we're going to give some advice to someone right. who's being sent to Japan, okay, okay. Your, your next assignment is Tokyo. What would be three pieces of advice you'd give them? All right. Three pieces of advice. All right. It might sound cliche, but number one would be to enjoy the ride. And what I mean by that is it's your first time in Japan. Take day trips, go to an onsen, you know, do some cultural things, take a walk in a neighborhood, uh, try a new Japanese restaurant and take these experiences back with you to the office and Tell your staff about what you're doing because Japanese love it when foreigners are passionate, love their country. And probably what's going to happen is they are going to give you a recommendation on where you should go or what you should do next. And then you do it and it becomes kind of like a positive, vicious circle. But it leads to communication that's not just about business. And I think that also fosters the trust angle. Is this uh, a humanization example? of leadership, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. But it's also sharing because mm-hmm. you're sharing your experience. And if you really loved that temple that you went to or this new restaurant that you went mm-hmm. to or whatever, if you tell these anecdotal stories to some of your staff, they, they're going to love it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they love these stories. 
So we connect with them on the human level through our cultural experience in Japan. Yep. Okay. Second thing would be get some quick wins early in the current business environment that you have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe some people are coming to Japan because they have to turn it around or it was underperforming and they're there to fix things, perhaps. Japanese hate change. So if you come in and you want to change the culture and, and you have all these new radical ideas, it's going to be met with a lot of negativity and there's going to be a lot of pushback and it's not going to be enjoyable, right? So if you get these quick wins early in whatever environment it is, you're going to get a little bit of momentum going. And so people are more apt to believe in you, to follow you, trust you, and then you know, introducing maybe some of these more innovative, some bigger ideas will be met with uh, less resistance. Actually, just to plug my own book there, uh, chapter 30, I think it's the last chapter 30, last chapter, when you get a chance to have the last chapter, okay. you will smile when you because it talks exactly about that issue. Oh, really? You are sent here and how you will fail unless you have the right setup for being in Japan and people don't understand that and then they have all these issues of trying to force change. But very good advice. What's, a, what's some other advice? Mentally prepare yourself for things to move or to develop a lot slower than you're used to. The decision-making process in Japan is slow, especially the sales process in Japan is extremely slow. I've lived here, I've worked here for 30 years. I'm still sometimes surprised. I'm still sometimes <laughs> frustrated at the, at the pace. Don't you love that when uh, your salespeople come to you and they say, yeah, we finally got that client. And you think, oh, that's great. And then you think back and you realise, hang on a minute, <laughs> this has taken them. four years. <laughs> oh, four years, okay. Or three years or something because we have that. We have that. We have, yeah. you know, we, <clears> oh, <throat> we're now going to be doing training for the XYZ company. And yeah. you realise, hang on, we talked to those people four years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago. It is a long cycle, isn't it? Yeah. What's, a, what's some other advice? I think I mentioned this before, but it's very important about being yourself. There's a fine line between adapting to the local culture and retaining your personal management style. Mm. So it, it doesn't do me any favors if I come in, you know, full on American, push my views and do it typical American style. You know, it's not going to do much to really enhance my chances for success. At the same time, if I try to be Japanese, mm-hmm. You've seen it happen before. Number one, you can't be. And if you do, if you try to, it's just going to creep people out, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of finding that sweet spot between localizing yourself and then kind of keeping your own personal management style Mm. and finding, like I said, that that balance. Well, it's what we're trying to do as companies. We're trying to find the best of two worlds here. Being best practice to Japan but also localized for Japan. So same thing on a personal level, I guess. In my experience working with you, dealing with you, you're a very innovative person. So often when you are an innovator, you tend to become the central font of innovation. And this overflowing of this font of innovation, you're pouring out possible ideas all the time. And sometimes that means that the people themselves are actually following your innovation and delivering and executing on that, as opposed to coming up with their own innovation. So how do you get people, what's the balance for you, I guess, between your ability to innovate, your drive on innovation yourself personally, 
and getting the team to be the ones who are actually stimulating the ideas, coming up with the new concepts? Well, the product managers get a lot of input, not just from me, but from our headquarters, input from our factory, from the salespeople that know what the customer wants and needs. It doesn't all come from me, and that's fine. I'm not the major cheerleader for that, right? I, I allow my staff to come up with the ideas, to come up with the direction, and I kind of help them along the way. So I, I guess delegate, in this case, delegation, yes, I definitely needed to learn how to delegate. How Do you have a delegation process you go through? How do you delegate? Because <laughs> I'll give you an example. When I joined uh, Jones Lang LaSalle, he, my boss came to my desk. He had two manila folders with all the paperwork of all the correspondence that had with Japan. And he just dumped it on my desk. And he said, okay, get to it. So when you say you delegate, do you have a particular way of, of delegating with people? It's just pretty much common sense, I think, because if it's a marketing issue, it's marketing. If it's uh, new product mm -hmm. development, it's uh, product managers. Okay, well, let me be more specific. There's what we call dumping, which is like, okay, here's a project, get onto it. And then there is other ways of getting people motivated right. to want to do it. So when you talk about delegation, there's delegation and there's delegation. Right. So I want to hear how okay. you give a delegation <laughs> the way that motivates people to want to yeah, do it. Okay. In that regard, then I'm not a dumper, that's for sure. Very good. No, I'm very sensitive to the workload of the staff, but I also trust them and I believe in them. So when I have something new that I said, well, you know, maybe I should give it to Mr. A or Miss B or whatever, I kind of evaluate what it is and I evaluate what I know is already on their plate, just where it fits into the priority of things that we're doing. So I do make a calculated decision mm -hmm. on the weight of whatever it is that I need to delegate. I just uh, decide that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that a good answer? And yeah, I mean, that's first of all, you're making a, an intelligent selection based okay. on a number of criteria as opposed right. to... right. A lot of bosses decide on, they look around, who doesn't look busy? <laughs> Boom, you know? No, we're all busy. We're all busy. We're, we're all good. busy. <laughs> Japanese speakers know that zo means elephant in Japanese. And elephants are strong, intelligent creatures where the leaders nurture their young. Zo Digital Japan is an SEO and digital marketing agency based in Tokyo. Contact them to help your business grow traffic by four times, seven times, and even ten times in one year with services such as SEO, content marketing, pay-per-click advertising, and more. Head to the website zodigital.jp and look for the elephant logo. We all know getting a great sleep is important, and this is what Gugu is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu. Better sleep, better you. In your podcast, I've listened to you talk about yourself at different times about the work you've had in Japan. You've had a very unique and interesting career in Japan. So can you just get us to how are you here today in this current job? How did you get to this point? Tell us your Japan story. You got it, Greg. 
I grew up with relatives that lived in Japan. So as a child, I had an influence, stories or photos or omiyage, presents or whatever it was. So how is that? I mean, most people don't grow up with a family who have a connection with Japan. Was it through the military? Was it through missionary work, business? Why were they involved with Japan? I had a couple uncles that were interested in Japan. They came to Japan to study, one in Kyoto and another one in Niigata. And just just through their their influence, and That's it, amazing. It, it's just a happenstance. It's it's almost like it's destiny. And so I started studying Japanese in high school. Did they offer Japanese in Seattle? That no. Okay. However, the university close to my high school did offer Japanese. So I petitioned my high school principal. Can I take the Japanese class at the university and use that credit for my high school graduation? He said, yeah, sure. If you think you can handle a college level language class, be my guest. I would get on my little bicycle and I would cruise up to the university. I would take my Japanese class, get back on my bike and go back to high school. Well, that's interesting. The university accepted you as a high school student to come into the campus and do a formal course. That's correct. That's very flexible, you know. That's interesting. You had a great opportunity. So keep up. Keep up with the story. So then when I graduated high school, I said, you know what? I am going to make my fame. I'm going to make my fortune. I'm going to go to Japan. <laughs> and so when I was 18 years old, I came here. I worked at the very first Nova school, which was in Osaka. And I was an English teacher there uh, with no real qualifications other than being a native English speaker. And so I, I worked a couple of years in Osaka. And I realized, you know... Probably, I, without a university degree, I'm not going to get much fame nor fortune. Therefore, I went back to the U.S., entered university. I actually got my first job right out of university. It was here in Japan. It wasn't my ideal job. It wasn't e exactly what I wanted to do. However, it was a foot in the door, as they say. The first company was a Japanese company. I worked for them for three years. To so another, what were you doing for those three years? What was the work? I was a buyer, and I worked in the menswear department. I knew nothing about fashion. I still don't, obviously. I had no experience with that. They taught me. And that's the thing about Japanese companies. They really teach you the basics. They don't teach you so much the practical information that's related specifically to your job, but more so to function within the company. And I'm really glad that I had that experience at a young age. At the time, I was 23 years old. I'm very thankful for the experience. I learned so much about working in Japan. That's interesting because we're talking about leadership today as a theme. So you are experiencing hardcore Japanese domestic company leadership right. as a recipient. Did anything stick out for you on how they led people? There was some frustration because a lot of the things that they were teaching me, I thought were very basic, based on common sense. A lot of it was just really drilled into you. It was repetition. It was almost militaristic. There was times where we did uh, gashuku, where we oh, would yeah. spend a, a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday at, at a dormitory and we would have classes all day long. You know, they talked about how deep you bow and what you wear and how you package things and wrap things up and how you address people. I learned how to do gift wrapping, okay. how you address customers and your superiors and et cetera, et cetera. But in hindsight, it was a really great foundation to living and working in Japan. But working for a Japanese department store, you see your career path where you progress through the ranks based more on years of service than it is your, your results. 
And that was a little frustrating for me because I'm a very results-oriented person. And that's really not what working for a true traditional Japanese company is all about. I made a move after three years. And I moved to another Japanese company then. But it was much smaller. And it was more in the industry that I was really interested in, which was the travel industry. And it was a travel publishing company. So my job was to go around the world and sell promotions and advertising space and exposure in our Japanese language publications for travel agents. And so that was my main job. It was a great job. had a lot of fun. It was quite interesting because I've heard a lot of horror stories, I should say, about some foreigners that have worked in Japanese companies. I've interviewed a couple guys on my podcast about that. But for me, you know, they hired me. And for the most part, they were like, well, what do you want to do? So this is interesting. You've got the very established, very large Japanese corporation, a lot of procedures, very well organized, uh, lots of drilling, you know, everything taken care of. Now you're working for a much smaller company. What was the leadership contrast for the smaller company and how they led you compared to the larger company? Great question. And exactly what you just said. With the larger Japanese companies, there was so much formality. You know, we started every morning with a chode. You know, just all the, all the procedures. It was a bit officious, I would say. But that's the way they do it. You know, coming from a, an extremely individualistic society such as the United States to a very group-oriented think society like Japan and be in that work environment was, you know, regardless of the fact that I already spoke Japanese, I'd lived in Japan earlier, you know, it, it got a bit tedious at times. But like I said, I was young and so I was able to handle it. Getting back to your question, so the second company was, was a lot smaller. I think we only had about 25, 30 employees they said, you know, we like the influence, the ideas, we like the potential innovation that maybe a foreigner brings to the workplace. So welcome to the company. What do you want to do? Hmm. And so they were very flexible and they were very open. So were they very comfortable with you failing? For example, you know, Japan's a defect zero culture and no mistake <laughs> culture. And yet innovation is failing and learning from failure. Do they accept Things that you tried that failed? Sure. I'm sure there must have been some failures, but I had a couple early quick wins. I initiated a couple things that were new that I thought of, which is exactly why they hired me. Luckily, I was successful with those. So everything that I did after that, they were much more open-minded to, mm -hmm. and they were much more relaxed to, you know, whether I didn't completely accomplish my targets or not. You know, maybe I got close enough. But that's, that's kind of the way Japanese business is. You know, there's mm -hmm. really not 100% accountability for everything. But I think it really helped that I had a couple quick wins to begin with. And that got the momentum going, got the trust going, which, which helped. I think the point that I'd like to make is I've been working in Japan for 30 years. My, my whole professional career has been in Japan, and I am at the position where I am now because it was a strategic decision that I made. You know, I'm not a big job hopper, but each career move that I made, I made sure that it was a step up in terms of knowledge, experience, and title. That always helped me along the way to get to the next position. Very strategic. So I had a, a title of country manager, but a much smaller company than my current company. However, if I had not had that title, 
of country manager, I probably wouldn't have even been considered for the interview for this job. So let's talk about that. And so then you yeah. get into your current job and you've got a lot more people. Yes. How many people did the company have when you joined? Over 200. Wow. How do you make that transition <laughs> where you've been hands-on, know everything about everything, and now you've got people in stores, you've yeah. got people in the headquarters, yeah. you've got a global organization, you've got a lot more attention on you, a lot more spotlight. How did you make that jump and what were the challenges that came up for you leading that organization? Wow. Yeah, number one is I was entering into an industry that I knew nothing about. So there was so much information that I had to digest. It was like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Challenging. So here's a yeah. question, right? They have been in that business. And you turn up and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you speak Japanese, so what? Yep. We all speak Japanese too, by the way. Yep. Uh, where's your <laughs> value so. add here? You know, yeah. you don't know any damn thing. Right. Why should we follow you? So how do you deal with that type of maybe unstated resistance, but probably resistance yeah. under, the, under the current? Absolutely. There was that. But uh, I think you need to gain trust. How do you get that trust? And I gain trust mainly by, and it sounds cliche, by being myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm a pretty social person, pretty open with people. I like to think I have a good communication style um, with people. So I started off by interviewing my employees finding out what they do, what their goals are, what their this aspirations are. No, 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 not all 200. Because uh, my company is split. We have a factory in Gifu Prefecture where we actually make kitchen knives. Uh, the front office is all here in Tokyo. It's where the sales, it's where the marketing, it's where PR, it's where I am. So in the Tokyo office, we were about 30 people. So that was my first goal was just to get to know my people, what their, what their goals are, what their aspirations are, and try to connect with them. If you can connect with people, they will listen to you, and that leads to motivation, leads to engagement. So how do you connect? I mean, you're American, they're mm -hmm. Japanese, okay, you yeah. lived in Japan, yeah, okay. So how do you connect with those people? Well, first of all, I started with the one-on-one -on -one interviews. Part of the thing about being a foreign leader in Japan is that you're definitely going to make some mistakes, especially when it comes to cultural issues. So you're offered some leeway, a few mulligans. However, I think it's important to, to own up to any mistakes that you make, to recognize them. If they're not too egregious, maybe laugh them off a little bit and just be open about it. And I think that that leads to some trust and I think it leads to more engagement. Communication is really, is really key when it comes to, to leadership. So, Andrew, uh, we've covered a lot of things in leadership. Yes. Is there anything I haven't asked you I should have? Hmm. You're very thorough in your questions. Um, one thing, if I, if I may, how many listeners or subscribers do you have? I heard it's like something like 100,000. For our podcast? Yes. No, no, it's much smaller than that. This oh. is a very niche, oh. extremely niche, oh, very, now you're very being niche humble. podcast. Yeah. Now you're being humble. Well, for your, thousand, for your yeah. tens of thousands of listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard today, I think you probably might enjoy my podcast. Mm -hmm. Give I us a name again. Now and Zen Japan. Yep. Okay. Now, now and Zen Japan. Yep. And you can find it on iTunes, but I don't, I don't do it as frequently as you. I only upload two a month and I interview 
business people like you do, but I also interview craftsmen, people from the hospitality industry, Mm -hmm. um, areas that I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. And they all have really fascinating stories and they have Mm -hmm. a lot of great insight, both foreigners that have lived a long time in Japan and Japanese that are bilingual. It's in English. If you you like this podcast, you're also probably going to enjoy Now in Zen Japan. So check it out. Good thinking. Good thinking. Any final comments, Andrew? Any final advice before we wrap it up? No. Thank you for your time today. You're a great interviewer. I really love your books. This one is the Japan Business Mastery. It follows up on the Japanese Sales Mastery, which I read is a fantastic book. I'm looking forward to having you on my podcast. Well, I, I welcome that. I'd love to, I'd love to be on your podcast. Yeah. I've got my, my, my Japanese word that uh, you need to have that can't be translated ready to go. Oh, That's a segment, go. always a segment on your show, which yeah. I enjoy. But uh, thank you. Andrew, I thank you for today. All right. You're a very busy man. I appreciate yep. that. And my pleasure. Please join us for the next episode of Japan's Top Business Interviews. And that was myself being interviewed by Dr. Greg Story for his podcast, Japan's Top Business Interviews. At the end of this episode, you heard me invite Greg to be on this podcast, and indeed he did. It's a great episode, number 32, from March 6th, 2021. It can be found at iTunes, and it can also be found at nowandzen.jp. We discuss public speaking skills, the four elements of a successful presentation, and talk about his two best-selling books, Japan Sales Mastery and Japan Business Mastery, both great reads for anyone interested in Japan and how to succeed here. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. If you liked this episode, please leave a positive review at iTunes or even a comment, or you can also go to nowandzen.jp and there you can leave a voice message. Until next time, bye everybody.